right, everybody. This is weird. We're recording a podcast on Saturday, October 29th, following Virginia Tech's Thursday night football, which the Hokies lost 22 to 21 in Raleigh. And guess what? This is Billy Ray Mitchell. Pat Finn is to my right or left. I don't really know. Grayson Wimbish down below. Newport, Rhode Island, Charlotte, North Carolina, Los Angeles, California. We're the Sons of Saturday, and we are here to break it down for you. And we are here to make you feel like you're drinking out of a big hug mug, because that's what we all need. We all need a big hug. We all needed an extra day to sleep on it, to watch the film, to relax. And you know what? The sun still came up, so here we are to talk about it. As always, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Main Street Pharmacy, Head on down there for your prescription needs. And also, starting next week, you can get your Nitlo X Sons of Saturday Center Street t-shirts. It is an awesome collaboration that we did, Center Street Athletics. You can see the pictures on our social media. You will absolutely love them, designed and crafted and everything handled by Hannah Carlton, a hookie grad. Shout out to her. We love the, uh, the collaboration and go on down and get yourself a maroon or gray t-shirt. Uh, as far as haikus go, we got a submission from Pete McGee immediately following the game. He resubmitted when we asked for haikus, but the haiku goes, we had 10 false starts, double digit false starts, 10, 10 Hokies false starts. Well done, Pete. For those of you that do not know, Virginia Tech did have 10 false starts on Thursday night in Raleigh. So as we do always with the game recap scene and action, Grayson Wimbish, talk to us about the game. Yeah, uh, I'm fired up today, y'all. I'm not sure how many times I've said it on this podcast, but I imagine I'm going to say it a few more. You cannot spell vintage without VT. Uh, This was as vintage of a rollover and die Virginia Tech loss as any of the worst I've seen in recent years in my lifetime. But the game recap goes like this. We entered Carter-Finley Stadium as 13-point underdogs against the 24th-ranked NC State Wolfpack. Devin Leary was out, noticeably absent. He's their starting quarterback uh, who's really kind of gotten them to where they are, which gave the Hokies a better chance going in. It's like, hey, we might do something. So they come out with Jack Chambers to start the game, and the Virginia Tech defense is cooking. They're eating him alive. The score at the half, 3-0 Wolfpack. We let them score right before the half, kick a field goal. Then in the third quarter, Virginia Tech's offense, out of nowhere, first drive, finds new blood, new groove after their scoreless first half. We score 21 points in the third quarter, making the score 21-3. All looks well. On paper, the Hokies had three screws tightly drilled into the proverbial coffin. And then NC State makes adjustments. They pull Jack Chambers. They put in freshman quarterback MJ Morris, who rises to the occasion and answered by throwing three touchdown passes to claw back and get the 22-21 to victory in the span of nine minutes. That's how long it took for them to come back. And true Virginia Tech fashion, we snatched defeat from the claws of victory. Defense turned the lights off before closing time. Offenses folded the tent back up before it was time to leave the campground. And NC State, ironically, or uh, yeah, unironically, gave us a taste of our own medicine. Literally, they did to us what we did to them the last time we were in Carter-Finley Stadium. Come from behind victory. Uh, it was tough, y'all. That's the game recap. Not, not good. 
Not pretty. The undersell of the century. It was tough. It indeed was tough. So, all right. Kicking things off with first things first. Uh, first things first brought to us by our friends over at First in Maine. We love Alumni Hall. Athlete videos over there. We've been having a ton of fun. Go get yourself some uh, some gear. 10% off. Love that. Suns 10 on the website. Or let them know when you get into the store. If you want to eat, you want to play, you want to shop, whatever you want to do, it's all available down at First in Maine. Uh, first things first, discipline of this football team. Coach Pry mentioned it in the post game that you simply cannot withstand double-digit pre-snap penalties. He's right. To come off a bye week and have these procedural issues is overwhelmingly frustrating and avoidable. I mean, it's not like we have, you know, six, seven, eight guys that are true freshmen playing out there. We have guys who have been in these situations before who have played meaningful football games in their careers. I I can't tell you what it is. I don't know if it's people getting confused uh, on the way that we do snap counts, uh, crowd noise. I, I have no idea what it is, but it simply cannot continue. Um, the, regardless of the changes that you make on offense, the amount of points that you score, how good you play on defense, everything else, these are things that are going to be impossible to overcome, um, and it's consistently hurt our football team. Um Per David Cunningham, uh, he put out a tweet the other night that said, after tallying 13 penalties last night, Virginia Tech ranks second in the FBS in penalties this season with 70. The only other team that has more is Bowling Green. For those of you that don't know, Bowling Green is coached by Scott Leffler, former offensive coordinator at Virginia Tech. Bowling Green has 72 penalties. Um What's craziest, crazier than that is Virginia Tech had 70 penalties in the entire season of 2021. That is 13 games. We have hit 70 through eight games this year. So, you know, we can get on here and we can talk about how, you know, I wish that our defense tackled better. I wish that uh, we attacked the middle of the field more. I wish we got Daquan Wright the ball more. All of those things are true. But I just hope that at some point this season, we can get the pre-snap penalty stuff figured out we had it happen again i don't i have to think of some sort of word for this pat and grayson we can get together and workshop this but the penalty and then they move you back and then you don't run a play yet and you have another penalty before that happens i don't know if that's that's like it's worse than the double doink that the nfl loves to say mike Tarico or, or al michaels loves to say the double doink i don't know what it's going to be called it is unbelievable it, it used to be an albatross. It is now a commonplace. So that's my, uh, that's my first things first. I'm going to go ahead and pass the baton over to my friend Pat for, uh, for first things first. Daniel Jones, can you just tell everybody why you're wearing a Daniel Jones jersey? Let's, let's, let's address- you look so much like him. He does. I mean, guys, it's ridiculous. It's Halloween Saturday. You know, I'm going to go watch some college football today. I don't have a costume this year. So naturally, I'm just going to go as my, uh, my alter ego. The NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Daniel Jones hailing from Charlotte, North Carolina. So I'm going to go over to Selwyn Pub later and hopefully some people buy me drinks thinking I'm actually the real guy. (laughs) Um, All right. I got to talk to you guys about the sports psychology of this team. Now, I am not a psychologist and I'm not a psychologist. Dr. Finn. Dr. Pat Finn is in the building here. 
I just see too much too much going on on this football team that is a it, it it's just in the basket of not what it needs to be as far as winning attitudes, winning culture, and winning plays. We don't have guys on this team that go out there and are playing to win, it seems like. You know, you have these false start penalties. You have offsides penalties. We are muffing kicks. We are struggling to snap the ball to Grant Wells. I think three times in this game, Grant Wells had Grant Wells had to uh, grab the ball off of the floor uh, when he was dropping back to pass. You know, we're playing scared. Like there's no confidence in this group of players at this point. You know, and we're lucky that we didn't turn the ball over more. We had zero turnovers on Thursday night. We could have easily had three or four from the two muffed kicks and from the uh, fumbled snaps. But I just don't understand, like, what are what is going on in the sidelines? Where is the juice? Why aren't our guys in a mental, tough capacity to go out there and not line up, not line up trying to not make a mistake, right? Ten false starts, two or three offsides penalties. You are literally just trying not to make a mistake in that point. Um. And then going back to the um, the chance black, two muffed kicks back to back. You can get a feel as a coach or as someone on the sidelines, someone goes out, a young player goes out and makes a mistake. You can get a feel if that player is shaken up after making that play and if they should go back out there. You know, should Stu Holt, did Stu Holt get a good read on chance black and say, I am confident that Chance is going to go out there and make a play here. You know, did he look him in the eye and know that Chance Black felt confident about going out there and making a play? And that's where it's like coaching versus talent versus culture. You have to install a instill a culture among your players that they're going out there to make a play, not to not mess up because Throughout the entire evening, aside from that third quarter, it seemed like our guys on both sides of the ball were just trying not to make a mistake. And that is a that's a top-down thing. So um I just don't really know. I, I know that that's something that needs to change. I don't know how it's going to change, but you need to instill that confidence among your players so they're not going out there and making mistakes again. And even like Instilling the, instilling the uh, the notion that, hey, Chance, you don't need to return this one. Just call a fair catch if you catch it, you know, five yards out. You can call a fair catch. We'll get the ball out on the twenty-five. And for whatever reason, you know, that's not there. And Chance Black is a guy like he's just going through it right now. He's a young player. This happens to young players all the time. But um, I just don't see the confidence out of guys on this team like it should be. So. Sports psychology, I don't know what's going on. Maybe we need to get a sports psychologist to come into uh, to the locker room or to practice, but I just don't see that winning attitude uh, like we should see out of this team. I think, Pat, just real quick, uh, I, I just think the, the short answer here is these, these guys just don't – they're not used to winning. They don't, they don't know how to win. And, you know, when you're not used to that – it's, it's tough. 
Like that does things to your head when you're losing. We lost. I saw some statistic. We lost every game in October for the seventh time in program yeah. history or something. 29 years. Yeah. That's insane. Like what, what does that do to you? Mm-hmm. What does that do to your head? I mean, it's gotta be hard. Uh, you mentioned it, Pat, and and I think that I think the best you you said it without saying the word is this team does not make winning plays. Uh, there are times in a game where, and we've talked about them, we've pointed them out before, where there are six or seven opportunities for you to make a play that can change the entire trajectory of the game. Uh, I think of a couple from this past uh, from this past week. I think of I think Narell Pollard had his arms around the quarterback with a chance to sack him. Uh, I think two Virginia Tech defenders had stuffed the running back in the backfield on a third and two, and the running back is able to power his way forward, get the first down on a drive that eventually ended up being a touchdown. Uh, Mansoor Delane or Cam Johnson had his hands on an interception that could have ended a drive and got Virginia Tech the ball back. Um, so you can have a game where you grade out an 80, an 85, and 90%. And then when that opportunity to win the ball game comes and you miss that shot, you miss that opportunity to make it, look back at the West Virginia game. How different is the football game versus West Virginia if Grant connects on one of those passes? If Jaden Blue picks up the ball uh, or catches the ball and doesn't hit him in the face. Um, this team has done some things well and done other things really poorly. It just seems that the poor play rears its head at the worst possible time every single time. Um, And that's been what's haunted this football team. Uh, And instilling confidence, Coach Price said it in the post-game press conference, he says we need to start making these game-winning plays because it's it's for the life of this football team. He is 100% correct. Um, When I try to explain to people like, these players who all want to win, this is not us saying that the players don't want to win, the coaches don't want to win, but they're all going to wake up on Monday morning, go to class, and then march to the indoor facility coming off of a fifth straight loss, getting ready to go play against Georgia Tech. Like They're going through it right now, man, and, and they have to find some way to bottle up and take the success and take the positives that are coming and translate that into a consistent model way to play. Because we have too many games where we have one quarter where we play really good football. We have one half where we play really good football. And then the other half is just the complete opposite side of that. Yeah, and I think it's something that is learned, and is it's something that these younger guys are going to need to, if they're going to fall on their face, they need to fall on their face early so that you know they can recover and make sure it doesn't happen again, right? Like we know that a lot of things are going to happen in the year of 2022 for Virginia Tech football that will probably not happen in 2023 because this is year one. And we need to make sure that that's the same thing uh, for the players and on-field um, errors. But to that point, do I think this team has an opportunity to be mentally tough? Yes, because just look at how they haven't quit at all this year. Like I know that um, teams of the past, it seems like uh, once once we're in a once we're in a hole, the team quits and and we fade away. Whereas this was a different this was a different game. We had the lead. We haven't had that lead before. We don't know how to win, as Grayson was saying. But um, I, I will give credit to this team and the mental toughness of this team that it doesn't seem like they have quit at any point in the year thus far. So we can move on to uh, talking about the offense here. Grayson, I know um, 
And yeah, man. Got a got a few here, uh, but first, I know Pat. Later in the in the podcast, you're going to talk. You're going to give your report card about the environment. At NC, uh, uh, can't talk right now at NC State. Um, let me ask you something really quickly. Was it loud there? No, <laughs> not loud. No, like not at all. Like kind of. Kind of was bummed about that. I mean, I was up in the tech section, so like you know, I'm in my own bubble of tech fans up in the top left corner, but um, not really at all. Actually, it was pretty disappointing. Okay. One other question, because a lot of people were talking about it: How large was the exodus of people from the NC State side when Tech went up twenty-one to three? Because I heard that a ton of people left uh, when that happened. Was there a large exit of people? Yeah, a lot of people had it for the exits. It was probably like, you know, half half full. Oh wow. Um maybe so, a little over half full after those folks left, but um yeah, there a lot of them made their ways to the exits. So so that makes what we're about to talk about even worse. So let's address uh, let's address the gargantuan sized elephant in the room. Uh shout out Pete McGee. Again, 10 false start penalties. 10 false start penalties. What's going on there? What do we practice all week? How hard is the snap count to figure out? It's one thing, you know, if this hadn't been sorted out, maybe like week three, you know, maybe against Wofford, we're still doing it or whatever. But dude, it's, guys, Monday is November. It's the last game in October and you're, it's not even loud. Per Pat, he was there at Carter Finley, and we have ten false start penalties. I and again, I can't even put all of that on the offensive line. I'm not singling them out. Caleb Smith, for all intents and purposes, had a great football game, but a wide receiver, he had a false start. It's like, how does that happen? That is the fact that that hasn't gotten better really at all this season. That's concerning. That's that. I mean, yeah, sure, you can make the talent deficiency argument. Kind of miss me with that. You play for Tech. You play Division One football. You should be able to know the snap count. It's Billy Ray. Like, am I wrong about that? I don't think. No, I mean, you know, we've beaten this point to death over the last couple of weeks, and it's just not. It's just not gotten better. I I, I couldn't tell you what it is like. Stop going on two. Sometimes it happens. it's not even a consistent thing. It's not always when we're like appearing to go on two. It's sometimes when we're adjusting the play call at the line of scrimmage. It's sometimes when it looks like nothing is is being said or nothing is happening. Is it the other team doing stints or making mimicking the play call at the line? Of, I have no idea what it is. I don't but to your it. point, coming off of a bye week, still having this issue. These are the offensive linemen that are going to play. Um, it's not like they're all new. These guys have been here for a while. And I really don't know who to blame for it. I, I really don't. I, I don't know if it's procedural. I don't know. I, I have no idea what it is. This happens at home games. This happens on away games. This happens in loud stadiums. This happens in silent stadiums. It's, uh, it's a it's problem. Killing, it's killing our football team. It's a problem. A few other things real quick. Uh, another kind of question that I have is why why do we not have a single play that targets a receiver over the middle? I haven't really seen any kind of slant route from this offensive all at, at, at all. Like we don't have really any way to attack 
the middle of the field in the air, which baffles me considering we have a guy like Daquan Wright who you put him over the middle, he could be extremely effective, extremely dangerous. It just seems to me like every time Grant drops back, Grant Wells drops back, he's looking to the flat every time. That's like where he goes first. And then, like on Caleb's uh, Caleb Smith's touchdown pass, then if Caleb beats his guy, then he lets it fly. But there's never any kind of dump pass for a first down. It's like that's not in the that's not in the wheelhouse. I think that's it's, something that we did real that the only time I really saw us attack the middle of the field this year was West Virginia in the first half. And if you go back, you can yeah. talk about it. Like, like this was the this is a team that has some pretty good possession receivers, and by that, what I mean is is a guy who can get you six, eight, ten yards. Um, and we just haven't done that. Uh, and I'm going to get into this when I talk about uh, talk about our offense as well. But I, I know you had one more point, uh, Grayson, on on third and short. Yeah, yeah, that's that we've got. I mean, that's a mess in and of itself. Our short third and short. Second and short, it doesn't matter if it's first and goal. Our short offense, when we just need to pick up a couple yards and convert a third down, is it's horrible. Uh, other teams watch our film. They know it's coming. We're still lining up in the shotgun. Why is that? Why are we lining up in the shotgun on third and one? And I, I understand, okay, Grant Wells, he's 6'2", 208 pounds. I don't care. There's – I mean – you're better off running a quarterback sneak. You, there's got to be hell. You know what? I take the jet sweep back. It's it's better than I. Yep, I said it. I take that back as opposed to just like all right, we're in the shotgun, draw, hike, Holston here you go, and it's it's done. And like film or teams are watching that film. They know it's coming on those third and short scenarios. We have to be better there. We have to be more dynamic there. Because teams are teams are they have that dialed they have that shit dialed up. It's bad. So on our offense, you know, Mr. Positivity over here, Mr. Brightside. I'll say this: the third quarter was awesome. When we came out in the third quarter, I was like, "Yo, who who are these? Who is this team?" Uh, we were moving. I felt like I was literally in a trance. I felt like I was dreaming. Um, we were doing play action. We were hitting receivers down the field, moving the pocket. The 85-yard touchdown to Caleb Smith has to be the longest play we've had since Khalil Herbert was here. I mean, that was just incredible to watch. Um, I was flabbergasted. And then once NC State decided to adjust, we didn't see it anymore. Uh, the offense looks completely different. It went back to what it looks like we've been doing all season. In that third quarter, we had 251 total yards in that quarter. Uh, and we had 42 yards combined in the other three quarters. And my biggest nitpick... My biggest nitpick. Um, look, Daquan Wright, his usage, I have no better word to describe this. It's a blue ball situation. It is a tease. You are teasing me with Daquan Wright. Every time we get Daquan Wright involved in the offense, it is awesome. Minus one fumble. Daquan Wright doesn't look like an ACC tight end. He looks like an SEC tight end. He makes awesome plays. He has great hands. And he's a huge part of this offense when we incorporate him. In the third quarter, you're hitting him for 10-yard dump-offs, 15-yard dump-offs. We saw it against Miami where we got him involved. He had the fumble and then bounced back in the second half. Like, more of him, please. 
more of him on a consistent basis, please. Um, I think he, I, I don't think that it's a large stretch to say that Daquan Wright is the biggest playmaker on our offense. He just simply does not get the football. Um, that is one of my biggest nitpicks. Aside from that, the running game continues to struggle. Virginia Tech averaged 1.9 yards per rush. We rushed the ball 26 times uh, for 50 yards total. Just it, it doesn't matter who's back there. Malachi Thomas had nine carries for 21 yards. It literally it doesn't matter who's back there if you just can't find a way to hit a hole. You can't find a way to get anything going. I think the biggest run we had of the entire day was the uh, Grant Wells play where he ran over three people. It was like one of the highlights of the season. He powered his way into the end zone. Um, but uh, that's my issue, man. I, you got to find a way to get Daquan right involved. You got to find a way to move the pocket, uh, get creative because too often you watch this offense and it's so vanilla. Um and it just doesn't really give us a chance. Uh, and when we do step outside of that kind of, you know, very narrow play calling uh, rhythm, that seems to be the most successful that our offense, uh, our offense has. But it's driving me nuts. It's driving me nuts what we're what we're doing. So is there a, a Whitley's peanuts joke there in the Daquan right blue balling? You know, I had a lot. <laughs> I had a lot of time to. I had a lot of time to put this together. I I, I should have put two and two together, but. Uh, I, I, what else do you call it, man? I mean, I want to see that guy with the ball in his hands, period. End of story. Far and away, far and away, the guy on this team that I say, that guy is going to play on Sundays, mm-hmm. Daquan Wright. And no it's question. not even close. Mm-hmm. And he was the spark plug. It's like, it's like we're using him as our sixth man and we need him. We need that guy at the tip off at the beginning. He's of coming the off the bench. Like yeah. why? Yeah. You yeah. Know? Speaking of game winning plays and tight ends too. One of the other plays that we could have, I think it was when we, in the third quarter, we had that tight end rub route where uh, I think he pretended to block the linebacker, kept running, and Grant Wells just missed him. It probably would have been a gain of 20, 30, 40 yards. Uh, I think it was Gallo on the throw, but uh, that's another example of a game-winning play. But, but it was outside of the box and would have been a large play if we executed on it. And, um, and that's what we're missing. That's what we're missing. Aggression, uh, changing the pace, changing what's going on. Um, I mean, you saw it. If you were watching the game from home, you go on Twitter and everybody, whether this is true or not, a spokesperson for Virginia Tech came out and said it wasn't true. They're out here saying someone else is calling the plays. Someone else is calling the plays. We went through it through the in the Fuente era where it's like, oh, we have a good drive. Fuente's got to be calling the plays. So I don't know who is calling the plays, but whatever happened in that third quarter, I loved stepping outside of the shell. I'm going to stop talking about it. I've said it 10 times, but that, that's how I feel about it. Get the ball to Daquan 10 times a game. Just try. Try to make it happen. Um, also, what really just sunk our battleship on Thursday was Malachi Thomas getting hurt because we are a better football team when he is on the field. He falls forward. He is a true weapon in the receiving game. I mean, you guys saw that catch. If that catch has a little bit more air under it or if that pass has air under it, that's probably a touchdown. Might have been the play um, of the year. Yeah. I mean, you run four verticals. Malachi Thomas is one of the guys who's you know a top target. And uh, he's also great at pass pro. Th- that is a guy, Malachi Thomas is one of those guys who goes out there and plays to win every single time he's on the field. And we need more of that. We need I think more of David that. Cunningham, he's tweeted this a couple of times. I couldn't agree more. It's like, it, we're just better when he's on the field. Just all around, it's, it's just better. Things, it's like the oil. You know, I always give you crap about this, Grayson. 
but we were, I think we were up, we were either up 21-3 or up to up 14. I don't remember exactly what the score was, but it was one of those moments where Malachi Thomas goes down and you're just like, oh God, oh no. It's like, regardless of what the score is, like, this is the, this is the type of, this is the type of thing you're going to look back at and you're going to be like, when X and X happened, uh, that was where everything, that was the iceberg. Um, If you want to take a statistic from this football game, okay, here's the statistic. Virginia Tech was one of 11 on third down on Thursday night. You are not going to win. Like you you talk about all of these different things. We can talk about the penalties. We can talk about the the turnovers weren't a problem. You can talk about the penalties. You can talk about the tackling. You can talk about the third down conversions. We're going to talk a little bit about field position coming up here in the special teams segment. Like there are so many things that teams that don't win football games do that we have been doing. And that is why we are there. Uh, one of eleven for third down, especially when you when you're up that many scores, your job is just to just to keep the chains moving, keep the ball in your hands, you know. And for I ha- I got to tell you, this is the this is this is my last uh, my last subject on the offense. I used to have a guy who worked with me in the office uh, at Twilio pre pandemic, and he used to say the most overrated thing in sports is momentum. That guy's an idiot. Momentum was the most obvious thing going on in this football game. It was topsy, it was turvy, and NC State, you could see it on the youngster's body language. As soon as he scored that first touchdown, the entire body language and vibe of the Wolfpack completely changed. Completely changed. And it went from NC State being stuck in the mud to saying, oh, here we go. And then Virginia Tech, as NC State says, here we go, Virginia Tech looks like they're saying, "Uh uh-oh. And it was a perfect example of how crazy of an effect momentum can have on a football game. And you watched it play out on Thursday night. Moving it over to the defense, the defense continues to be Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, It has been Jekyll and Hyde all season. Um, If you want to look at the positives, um, Virginia Tech held NC State to 1.8 yards per carry on 34 attempts. Neither football team could run the ball on Thursday. Neither, neither, NC neither. State ran the ball very well on the last drive of the game. They did to put the game away. They probably had they probably had half of their yards on the last uh, on the last drive. Um, I would just say this, Grayson, and and it, I was when you said it, it stuck out to me because it was true. Like against Boston College, I was like, damn, like you know, we're we're two games in, even going into three games, and like we're a good tackling football team. I could say that. Like that is the one thing that I think we've really improved upon. Um, that was a huge issue against NC State. Like I said, third and third and shorts, uh, open field tackling. Um, we seem to have those issues in the most unfortunate times, where you're a third down away from getting the ball back and either extending the lead or burning some more clock, and you're just unable to do it. You're unable to make that game changing play. Uh, you have the quarterback in your hands. You have him bottled up gets out of the pocket and he runs for 15 yards, extends the drive. Those are those little plays that make such a big difference. Um, and they reared their ugly head uh, again on us on Thursday night. Um, I would say that there were some guys who had a good game, who had a great game. Alan Tisdale had his best game of the season. I Welcome back. back. Yep. I know he's been back like two games. Izzy was busy. That's what they said. Oh, I like that. We had, uh, he had a good 
as good as a first half as anyone on our defense uh, this entire year. Um, I think that <laughs> well, it was, it was really funny because throughout the entirety of the game, there are these two guys in front of me. And they were yelling at each other the entire game because this one guy says, it's talent. We just stink. We stink. (laughs) And then the other guy is like, where is the safety help? Where is the safety help? And the other guy is just like, it doesn't matter. We stink. And the other guy is like, but where's the safety? (laughs) That is hilarious. It was hysterical. Like this one guy was just – so angry. The Who the, how old were these individuals? Uh, one guy was probably, you know, 32. The safety help guy was 32. The, the scheme guy was 32. The talent guy was probably like 56. Who was, say, who was saying we stink? Who was the we stink guy? The older guy. Oh, that's awesome. It was hilarious. Hilarious. Um, so that was kind of just the, uh, the summary of the defense all night, uh, or I guess in the fourth quarter. But um, yeah, pivotal moments in the game. Jalen Griffin hopping offside on third and three in the fourth quarter. Oh, that was tough. Um, have it. No pressure on the quarterback in the second half. No, completely went away from uh, from being menaces in the backfield. Like that was hard. Because this this backup quarterback that went in, what was his name? MJ Jones? MJ Morris. MJ Morris. He came in and he showed out. and you know, Freshman, NC, too. NC State will continue to be uh, quarterback U uh, after Devin Leary is gone. But um, you know, we, we made him look fantastic in that fourth quarter. Uh, you know, you got guys like Mansour Delane, Mansour Delane and uh, Armani Chapman who just got to make a play when you're in a position to make the play. And, you know. It'll show up as a pass breakup on the stat sheet, which is awesome. But you know, you have you have to make that play in the end zone. Both of them, you know, were in yeah. the end zone um, yep. early on in the first half. Delane, uh, you know, hits him in the hands. They go ahead and kick the field goal, and it's the difference in the game. Chapman's on the very last touchdown drive for NC State. Um, you know, his was a little bit more in traffic, but you gotta be you gotta be a Jaron Hosley in that situation and come down with the ball. You know, um, gotta be a Macho Harris. So. Uh, overall, Monsoor Delane, first collegiate start. Uh, he had two pass breakups. He had five tackles. He had the impressive forced fumble out of bounds. You know, that could have made a difference uh, if it had stayed in. But I think overall, uh, he played pretty well for his first collegiate start. I know that he was going to get picked on. That was bound to happen. But I think overall, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it was good for him to get get some more reps out there. Grayson, I know I just talked about not getting enough pressure, but what else about the uh, the D-line was going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my main gripe here is that they're just not built to go the distance. Uh, they, they keep us in games long enough. I mean, really, like every game that we've had, for the most part, this season, I would say six out of the eight, the defensive line plays great in the first two quarters, a little bit into the third. And then in the fourth, they go away. Which, you know, I, I, that's a depth thing. I don't know. That's a mentality thing, a culmination of the two. But um, we've said it before already this season. That is priority number one this offseason and, and into December or whatever is hitting the portal and getting defensive linemen. Uh, I don't know what it was. Like, you know, we're up 21 to three, and then it's just 
it's like they turn the switch off and there's no pressure and we can't get to MJ Morris. And that can't happen. You have to play a complete game. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, you know, you do that, we win the football game, but then we just let them walk 22 to 21, just like that. It makes you wonder, why does that happen? So. Yeah, I definitely yeah. think, I definitely think depth has to be the the biggest culprit there. Um, at the end of the day, you're grinding out, you're on there for a ton of plays. I mean, let's go ahead and look at the time of possession here. I mean, uh, NC State had the ball for 36 minutes to Virginia Tech's 23. Um it just seemed like we were on the field forever. Um, and that's the story every single week. So, you know, they can only hold up for so long. Um, and then switching over to special teams, you know, last week we talked about the importance of field position. Uh, and this game, again, was a great example of how crucial that is. And I want to point out, uh, like, the one time of the game where, honestly, I think this was probably one of the most impactful moments of the entire football game that nobody's really talking about. So, the Hokies score their third and final touchdown of the night with four minutes left in the third quarter. Uh, after scoring that touchdown and going up to 21-3, to three, Virginia Tech only saw the ball three more times. They only had the opportunity to score three more times. When we had the football, those last three times, the drives that we started all came off of kick return because NC State scored every single time. Those drives started on the nine-yard line, the four-yard line, and the 24-yard line. Those were the final three drives that we had. You're not giving your offense a chance. When you know what kind of struggles the offense has and what the offense needs to do to put together a drive to score touchdowns, you just simply can't do that. You cannot put yourself – I've talked about how the punt return team needs to put – you know, give ourselves a chance to get better field position. I feel like Virginia Tech won the field position battle for most of the game until those crucial last three drives. Um, and we didn't really have a chance, you know. We really didn't have a chance. One could argue if you're starting a, a drive on the four yard line with our offense, line it up and punt it, um, because they're not. It's just not going to happen. Um, so that was uh, that was my observation. Field position matters. A lot of people were saying, "Oh, is Dave Dorn quitting by punting?" No, he was playing the field position game, and at the end of the day, it worked out for him. So uh, that was my observation, Pat. I think. <laughs> It just sucks because every single time Tucker Holloway just goes back there and he just calls for a fair catch and that's where we're getting the ball. And the kick return unit, the punt return unit, like what are we doing? Why are we not giving him any opportunity to make a play ever? Ever. It's not like we're bringing the house and trying to block the punt. Like I haven't seen a single time over the past six games where it looks like we've trying to go after the punter either. There's no coverage. He's got got no time to do anything. It's just like, what's do we have a goal here of getting any yards on these plays? I honestly don't think we have a goal of, of – it's just like, hey, Tucker, go out there, make the catch. That's all we want. It's like, no, let's install a culture of winning. Um, good on Tucker for making the plays, you know. But, but again, um, it, can, it can't just be that. It, it's got to be I got to catch the ball and not be afraid to catch the ball. And that's the thing. The, the, the guys who are on kickoff returns and returning punts, they're, it's like they're scared. What, 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 what about Tucker Holloway looked scared on Thursday? I don't know, dude. It's it, every I time. He's talking, I, think, I think more specifically on the, on the kick return stuff. Um, more I, on I, the kick return, but still, it's like every time, dude, anyone is back there. I don't care if it's DJ Harvey, you know, Tucker Holloway. 
bat there. I hold my breath. I'm like, please catch it. Please catch it. Please catch it. And because I mean, we've seen a muff this season, it's it's terrible. No one should have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, and I think it's like, do we want to go with the guy who will make the catch? Just Tucker Holloway. Do we want to go with the guy who will give us a better opportunity to pick up some yards? If there is an opportunity to go get some yards. I don't even know who that guy is. It's probably (laughs) DJ Harvey, but I don't know. Honestly, it's probably Malachi Thomas, but you know, you can't have them do everything. Yeah, you definitely can't have them back there. You know, Um, that's the thing. Like the guys on the unit aren't giving him an opportunity to go make a play. So it's like, let's just put Tucker back there because we know he's not going to have any space anyway. It's like, it's like, let's just fold and not try to, I don't know. It's it. <laughs> we've been talking about field position. Field position is so important. And uh, especially when you're punting at nine times a game too, you need to have an opportunity to pin them back. And we're not doing that either. You know, I don't know what's going on with Peter. He had nine punts under 40 yards a punt, 39.9 yards per punt on Thursday. And I don't know if the punt formation this year and last year is different for him. And he's still getting used to that. You know, I don't know if he's hurt. It seems like it he's not really, It is it's not really following through. But like, I don't understand because if a punter were to get the yips, I feel like they would, you know, just completely whiff and miss a punt, or they would fumble the snap, or you know, they would punt it 15 yards, not 39 every single time. When he led the Nate or led the ACC in punting last year, you know, had had more 50 yard punts than any other ACC punter last year, and then. This year, it's just like, yeah, flip a coin. This one's going to be 32 yards, and this one's going to be 45 yards. And, you know, nothing's going to exceed that 50 threshold. It's like, what's going on? Couldn't tell you. It's got to be one of the more – it's got to be one of the more baffling – seriously, it's got to be one of the more baffling things of uh, of this football season. Um, moving on to out to lunch. Uh, Pat, so Roots – is it beat GT or is it beat tech this week? What do we have on the roots discount code? Oh, let's do it. Quick. I know there are some people out there who, you know, want some healthy food. Maybe they're in Blacksburg. Maybe they're in, you know, Richmond. Maybe they're in Charlottesville looking for a place to have a healthy meal. What is the code that we can give them to get a little discount, get themselves fed? It is beat GT this week in the roots app. Save 20% off of your Roots Bowl this week. I got to tell you, if you live in Blacksburg and you've never been to Roots, you are literally out to lunch. Like yeah. you might as right. well be living under, you know, a big slab of hokey stone <laughs> because Roots Natural <laughs> Kitchen is the place. If you're hungry, if you're trying to get that healthy alternative, hey, maybe you'll run into Nels and Caleb Smith doing a little Roots rapid fire. Caleb Smith, by the way. He's putting up some serious numbers ever since he did Roots Rapid Fire with Nels. But uh, head on down to Roots Natural Kitchen. Pick up an El Jefe bowl or whatever you like and use BGT in the app this week for 20% off. Billy Ray, who was out to lunch this week? These, This was one of the most painful football games I've watched. Even if I wasn't rooting for a team, it was a pretty, pretty painful game to watch. Um, but Thursday night football... Used to be something awesome. Thursday night football used to be something people look forward to. The pageantry, the specialty of it, playing in front of the entire country. Everybody's watching. The ACC used to really, really, really uh, benefit from Thursday night football. It was a big deal. Uh, Thursday night football, wherever you're playing it. 
Um, ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports and the worldwide leader in uh, cut and corners and budget cuts, apparently. I don't understand why Thursday night in Raleigh, we have a Matt Barry, who literally does Sports Center. That guy's a Sports Center guy. He has no play, play-by-play experience. And then Dan Mullen, who was talking about how much of an impact Frank Beamer had in Raleigh, North Carolina for the Wolfpack when he coached there. I mean, what <laughs> are we doing? Like, I'm sorry. I, I, I thought that, you know, Thursday night football was a big deal. I thought that Power 5 football was a big deal. Um, ESPN continues to um, just have a have a, a below average product. Uh, and I, I really wish they would do a better job. Um, but they're not. So that's really it. Out to lunch. ESPN broadcasting. Horrible job. Horrible job. Um, my game ball goes to Alan Tisdale. Leaded the team in tackles with 11. Welcome back, Alan Tisdale. Uh, I also want to honorable mention Malachi Thomas for the best catch that I have seen by a Virginia Tech player, maybe since Isaiah Ford played here. Um, incredible catch. Uh, good job, Malachi Thomas. My game ball goes to Grant Wells. Grant had a great game on uh, Thursday evening. 11 of 22. A lot of incompletions, but three total touchdowns. One through the air to Caleb Smith. 85 touchdown, 85 yard touchdown pass down the field to Caleb. Like that was, that was awesome. If you didn't have your hands up in the air, hugging the guy next to you, probably weren't watching the game. Uh, so that was cool. But uh, him muscling for those two touchdowns as well. That uh, that rushing touchdown it was a 17 yard scamper there. And uh, getting to the pylon, getting inside the pylon, that was exciting. You know, the kid's been running for his life every single week. He's he's not getting much protection. He doesn't have that many weapons. He goes out there, he leaves it out on the field every single week, and he is significantly cut out, uh, turning the ball over too. So Grant Wells, uh, he's done a great job uh, as of late for uh, for what we have here. You know. That uh, that touchdown run emulated a little Tyrod Taylor versus Cincinnati in the Orange Bowl. It did that's the, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, "Come on, do do the behind the behind the head thing, Grant. Come on, make it cool." Uh, still was an awesome touchdown run, but my uh, my game ball goes to Caleb Smith. Three receptions for 141 yards and a touchdown. He really helped us. You know, he put us in a position to to win the football game there. Uh, great separation too. I mean, both times he got open down the field, he had his guy beat by a substantial margin. Uh, great game. Despite that, I'll let him have a pass with the false start because of, you know, three touchdown or three receptions for 141 yards. That's awesome. So I wanted to say this, and I know this, this isn't really a segment. It's just like, I felt really good for this football team. When Grant Wells forget forget like we might win this game, we might everything else for Grant Wells and Caleb Smith to have the moment of their eighty five. It looked like for the first time that this team had joy. And when you talk about like winning culture and how important it is to see yourself succeed and what that does for a football team, like I really enjoyed that they had that moment. And if they can find a way to replicate that and get a little bit more confidence, I think that would do a world of good for this football team. Um, but I, I don't really know what else to say other than I'm glad that they had that moment. Cause Grant, 
you know, Grant Wells is a guy that's caught a lot of flack all year and has competed every single day, has gone out there and tried to do his best. Caleb Smith is another guy battling injury, going out there every single week and trying to compete. Uh, Alan Tisdale, a guy who, you know, was working on the scout team all year, trying to make us better. And I'm not trying to give you like a, you know, Braveheart speech at the end here, but uh, it does feel good to see some of our guys see success. I just hope that we can find a way to translate it into wins here on the back half of the schedule. Um, moving on to stuff that is not football. Um, Pat, let's start with you because mine doesn't have to do with, uh, do with Virginia Tech at all. So what do you have? I'm usually not one to go crazy over uniforms. Um, however, I really was (laughs) kind of sick and tired of seeing maroon helmets, white jerseys and maroon pants this year. So Virginia Tech runs out in the field, iced out in all white. So I was like, this is awesome. Like, I like I like seeing a change here. I really do. Because um, I thought we were going to be getting the consistent uh, maroon, white, maroon the entire year. And we didn't get that. So uh, that was a nice little plus. I really want to see when we go to Liberty or we, we go to Duke, maroon helmets, white jerseys, white pants. It's the best look with our current uniform style set in my opinion. Uh, so I do want to see that. Um, I'm not a huge, you know, uniform encyclopedia guy, but that is what I want to see uh, before the end of the year. I'm so glad you brought it up. And you know what, Grayson, I've, I've given you a lot of crap sometimes because in my opinion, uh, and you've explained to me why, in my opinion, I think tech fans spend way too much time talking about JMU. Um, and I'm always like, you know, why, why are we wasting our time with this? Well, this year, um, I feel like I'm going to catch flack for this. That's okay. We talk way too much about Liberty. We talk way too much about Liberty. Look, I completely understand online classes, some turmoil, distasteful conduct by some of the higher ups there that are no longer there. Um, big Christian school. Look, call it the BYU of Christianity Lynch, uh, over in Lynchburg. That's what it is. Say what you want, but as Joe Biden would say, here's the fact, Jack. Liberty has been the best football program in the state of Virginia for the last couple of years based upon their output. Not only do people in Virginia know who Liberty are, but the college football world in general now knows who Liberty are. And they just made Hugh Freeze the second highest group of five coach in college football and the highest paid coach in the Commonwealth, Commonwealth Grayson of Virginia. They locked him up for $5 million a year through 2030. So everybody likes clowning Liberty. Everybody likes talking trash about Liberty. They're putting their hat, hat in the ring. They are saying, uh, we care about football. They are printing money with their online school stuff. I am just letting you know, I, this is a PSA. You can dislike them. You can be angry with them. You can do all the Jerry likes to watch tweets you want. But Liberty is going to continue to climb the arc of getting better at football. And that is just something to watch out for in the landscape of football in the state of Virginia. And us us going there doesn't seem so bad now. But, (laughs) I mean, it's still terrible. But, uh, yeah, that uh, that game, not looking forward to that one. What were you going to say? What do, you got, what do you got, Pat? I was going to say, Liberty's putting their hat in the ring. 
we got to put our entrepreneurial hats on and figure out how to open up an online college, man. <laughs> that, that is what we need to do. If that's where the money's coming from. How, yeah. how do we do that? Um, moving on to letters from the lunch pail. First one <laughs> comes from K Finn. Shout out to K Finn. Called me at like 1030 after the NC State game. I was surprised. I passed his bedtime. But he was asking Dude, me the about game, the, game. the game was still on at 1030. Maybe it was 1130. I don't know what time it was because I was in a trance from our offense in the third quarter still. Um, <laughs> but he did give me a call, ranted a little bit after the game, asking me about the false starts. He's asking me about the false starts here in the letters from lunch bail. I still don't know. I have I have no idea. No idea what the solve is for the uh, false starts. Stop going on too. Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but it's bad. I bookmarked a tweet from Brian Siegel about false starts. Let me go look at it here. As a former offensive lineman, I've never jumped offsides because of coaching. I have jumped offsides because I was more focused on not making a mistake instead of trusting my technique. The team is still learning how to play well when it matters. I think uh, that's an interesting point. I, I think sometimes something as simple as a snap count can can throw you off when either you're not 100% confident in your ability to do something and you're overthinking it, or you're not 100% confident in what to do. What is my assignment? Where is the linebacker lined up? Who is potentially blitzing? Who am I responsible for picking up? That is where, as a former offensive lineman, I would find myself jumping off sides. If you're like thinking through things, then all of a sudden you hear, oh, and you oh, and then you end up jumping off sides. Um, that's an issue. But yeah, you can't really like coach somebody. Yeah, I mean, the coaching to not jump off sides is, hey, the snap count is this. Do not move until this comes across your ear, uh, your ears. Um, but maybe it's simplifying the offense. Maybe it's 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 through. I, I know when we jumped off sides and had penalties in high school or when I was in college, we were punished as an entire team. Um, and uh, that that was the situation. I don't know if you guys have seen Full Metal Jacket. Definitely don't think that's what we need to do because uh, you all know what happens with uh, Private Pile towards the middle of that movie. Definitely don't want to see a situation like that. Um, but you gotta, there got to be some sort of, some sort of ramifications um, for actions that are, are, harm, are ultimately harming the football team. They're going to be running a lot in practice this week. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that. Yep. Yep. Steve Bryce. Does the staff finally play the Meadows, Chaplin, and Bradshaw freshmen the last four games since they want to be able to have – I think I think he meant to say since they will not be able to have bowl prep after November. I think the staff will play Meadows, Chaplin, and Bradshaw if the staff thinks that Meadows, Chaplin, and Bradshaw you know, can make an impact on the future. Um but I, I don't know. That's that's a question for the staff. I hope I hope we see some new guys if if they can make a positive impact on our team to win games. But I also don't think it's like well, since we can't get these guys in bowl prep, we should just throw them out there. I don't think that's yeah, necessarily I, the smartest idea. I think that people and uh, and everybody's kind of you know everybody kind of makes this mistake. But like just because somebody was good in high school. Just because somebody's high school film was really good doesn't mean that they know what the plays are. Doesn't mean that they're performing well at practice. Doesn't mean that they're doing whatever. So, and this is not an indictment or on any inside information about these specific three specific offensive linemen. This is on everybody. Like you get halfway through a season and you're like, oh, well, where is where is so and so? Well, it's very easy to say that when you look at his twenty four seven rating and you aren't at practice. You're not 
seeing how he's performing. You don't know anything about him except what his high school film was when they played against, you know, um, I don't know, Appomattox Public High School. Or like, mm. you know, um, I'm, I'm sure the coaches have a little bit more information and a little bit more. Uh, but I would love to see these guys work out. And he brings up a good point, uh, Steve Bryce does, is without a bowl game, you're losing out on three or four extra weeks of practice for uh, for your young guys. Um, cause that is what bowl prep usually is. It's getting extra reps that you would not be afforded if you miss a bowl game. Uh, and with one more loss, tech has eliminated itself from an automatic bowl bid. I know they're letting five win teams in now, so who knows if that ends up happening, but, um, you know, I think you all know how I feel about the, the five win. Five bowl wins, teams. Uh, you, you got so, five wins. You don't deserve to go. Yeah. Uh, last, last letter from the lunch bill by Pete McGee. Love this question. Attended the game. NC State might have the most welcoming fans I've encountered. Do you guys have a favorite and least favorite opposing fan base to interact with? I like this question. Uh, My favorite fan base I've ever encountered as a visitor is Nebraska. The Cornhuskers are awesome. We need to get another home and home with them. But that, I mean, those guys are the friendliest fans, I think, besides us in college football. Least favorite? Florida State had some. I shouldn't say that, excuse me, some uh, not nice people, um, <laughs> some not friendly folks, but uh, I don't know, dude, UVA fans or UNC fans are insufferable, the worst. Um, Pat, any any input here as a guy who goes to every freaking away game? I oh, like by the way, we haven't talked about the away game record, have we? Oh, Pat, it's terrible. That's been away Pat. game record. We got to get an Excel sheet running on that. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> Stop going away game. That's <laughs> great. Um, least favorite. We'll start with least favorite. Pittsburgh. Go up to Heinz Field. Horrible people. <laughs> Horrible people. That's hilarious. Uh, if you go to Coral Gables, Miami fans are extremely hostile when Miami is good. So, like that 2017 game, like there were a lot of like mm. not so pleasant Miami fans. That's like from a hostile, like Pittsburgh, Miami fans, like they'll yell at you and they'll get in your face. And she's like, dude, like, can you chill out? Um, least fun. That's kind of how I like, like to categorize these groups of people. <laughs> it's Carolina fans and UVA fans. Like you just go to, you just go to their towns and you're just like, this is a really nice town. You know, this is a nice campus. And then you're just like, these people are so like, just not fun, you know? You go to NC State and you're like, I'm going to have a good time. These people are fun. They're down to earth. They're blue collar. And they're just good people. You go to Virginia Tech, you feel the same way. You go to UVA, you go to Carolina, and you're just like, like, what is your life? I don't know, man. Why are you everyone, everyone has Hokey or uh, Who fans and Tar Heels in their lives that they love. But I'm also sure that they're just like, I wish they were just as fun as us, man. You know? Mm-hmm. So let your hair down once in a while. Come on. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, my absolute favorite fan base. Almost like, almost like weird. Nice was Notre Dame. I hated Notre Dame and everything about Notre Dame before I went. And then I went to Notre Dame and people could not have been nicer. Um, You know, I I, I don't remember if it was you, Pat or somebody else, or it might've been uh, John Cran actually, who they found out it was his first time at Notre Dame and they gave him like a ticket that was super nice. You go to your seat and these ushers that are dressed up like Scottish, you know, bagpipers are going like, welcome to Notre Dame. And you're just like, <laughs> wow, this is pretty cool. Um, so I was all aboard. I was all aboard the Irish, uh, the yeah, Irish, Scottish, whatever. 
uh, I know they don't get along very well, but uh, I was all aboard the Irish Catholic, uh, um, you know, steamboat after uh, after going to Notre Dame. So they were some of my favorites. My least favorite. I hate to zag you both, man, but like every fan base has people that suck. And I think the one thing that is like the constant and this is true with Virginia Tech as well. If you meet a fan who sucks, there's like an 85% chance that they probably didn't go to that school. There's an 85% chance that they didn't graduate from there. Um, most of the people that you meet uh, that are of the older variety that are not great uh, are, are representing the fan base poorly when they didn't go to the school. Am I gatekeeping being a fan of a school? No, I am not. I, you don't have to go to Virginia Tech to be a fan. But would you guys agree that typically – it is folks that didn't go to the school who are outwardly attacking or being vicious to the fan, the fan goer. I would say more often than not, it's hard to pinpoint that, but right. like more often than not, I think that is a fair assessment. Yeah. I just think it's important to always realize that, look, every fan base has people that suck. Some have people, more people that suck than others. Um, but that is something just to, just to keep in your mind. I'll say LSU fans are great in the first half, and then they get out of control in the second half. Uh, I went to uh, LSU-Auburn game. First half, everybody's in a great mood. Eat my gumbo. I'm going to get beer. Do you want beer? Second half of the game, I'm talking full mason jars being thrown from Tier 2 into Tier 1. Police laughing at people, being escorted out, blood everywhere. Out of, this podcast is out of control. We got to start winning some games. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that. I would say that that uh, that fan base is pretty rowdy. I was gonna say, Bill, don't indict, don't indict, uh, don't indict the fan base that didn't go to Tech. Some of the best Tech fans out there didn't go to Tech. That's true. No, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that if you didn't go to Tech. I'm saying that more times than not, usually the unpleasant ones, the guys yes. who are being jerks to you, yes. more often than I mean, not. Think Miami. Think Miami. You know, yeah. Like Miami's. You go to a Miami game. It. It's like one out of every ten went to Miami. The other, it's just like the Walmart fan. Right. Bama. Bama's a million of them. Yep, that's another yeah. good example. I mean, look, like I'm saying, here's here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that hey, who are pe- who, who usually are featured in shark attacks? They're sharks, but great whales who are sharks are very nice and docile. That is an outlier. That is abnormal. So I don't really, <laughs> I don't know how those th- things tie together. Um, but we're getting weird. We're getting around time where we need to, we need to pack this thing up. But we <laughs> do that. So Pat, um, I will say this: had a great event that you all put together in Raleigh. I'd love to hear about your experience in Raleigh. Game day, stadium vibes. Just give us the rundown on uh, on your experience. It was fun. Had a fun time. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, away game Thursday night. Uh, might have to take a little PTO. Um, I headed on down to Raleigh. I guess I went to Durham, worked for my grandparents' house in Durham for, uh, for most of the day. And then uh, went on down to the tailgate. Got to give some massive shout outs to the folks at the Alumni Association. Mariah Raskin and Jesse and Sean and the whole crew there, they had a big time tailgate going on uh, up against PNC arena. A lot of people were there, you know, probably like 200 plus people showed up They had a DJ, they had food. 
Uh, they had drinks. It was an awesome time. I've had a lot of fun memories at those Virginia Tech Alumni Association tailgates over the years. I remember the, uh, the 2016 ACC Championship. We had one in Orlando. They had one for the Belk Bowl that year in Charlotte. Um, and it, it's cool that this was a special occasion. Going to Raleigh on a Thursday night, we never play there. And a Thursday night makes it even more of a unique occasion. So I'm glad that that tailgate happened. They did a great job setting everything up. We just helped promote it. And uh, a lot of people showed up. So uh, again, I tip my cap to, to the Alumni Association. A lot of fun. Want to give the uh, the report card for Carter Finley and Raleigh and NC State uh, game day in general. One, being in a new place is a lot of fun. I had never been to a game at Carter Finley. I'm sure most of the folks there hadn't either. And um, I feel like since uh, over the last few years, we haven't really gotten to experience a new fun environment. You know, the last time I feel like I went somewhere new for the first time was Florida State in 2018. And before that, it was Notre Dame in 2016. You know, getting to experience a place that's, uh, you know, in your conference, but you really don't get an opportunity to play very frequently. I know Clemson is going to be next on that list. I know we play at Florida State and at Clemson, I think, over the next few years. It's going to be a lot uh, a lot more fun to get to play them more frequently now that uh, the ACC scheduling is changing. So that's number one. Um, okay, now let's run down the actual report card. Location, I give it a C. It's right on the State Fair campgrounds, uh, which is pretty cool, but at the same rate, you're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Carter-Finley is situated right next to PNC Arena, where the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and the NC State basketball team play. Probably like a 10-minute drive from campus, but um, in my opinion, it's just not an optimal setup. As a student, I want to be able to walk to the games. As an alum, I want to be able to walk around campus before or after the game. You know, I want to be able to walk to a restaurant that is, you know, downtown uh, in that college town that, you know, is not an Uber ride away. Um, I actually... Myself and the Waddles and uh, Garrett Lemelin and his dad were waiting for Ubers for like, you know, an hour and a half, two hours after the game. So it was a, a late a late night um, in the triangle. I will choose a campus stadium 10 times out of 10 over a, you know, remote location. Um, atmosphere and feel of game day, I will give this a B plus. I think they really do a good job of embracing the, the wolf pack and the dogs uh, type <laughs> mascot, whether it's you know, the old toughie, like they have, they have, they have fun with their mascot. They do a good, a good job using the wolves. They have a dog run out on the field. I think he goes and gets the tea. I'm not. It really looked sure. awesome on TV. It looks like a you saw it? Okay. Yeah. We're going what was he, yeah. he or she, what was the dog? He, uh, the yeah. The kicking tea. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what I thought. You know, was way up high in section nine. It was a party up in section nine. Uh, but uh, I thought that was cool. There were several tailgates around the PNC arena. Uh, so it's like PNC arenas, you know, directly next to Carter Finley. So there's this nice strip between both buildings that have, you know, a lot of great tailgate opportunity. And there were a couple live bands there. Lane stadium tailgating could use some live bands. You don't really yeah. hear that much live music going on outside of center street, but this was a really cool setup. So I thought that was awesome. So I'll give uh, the feel of game day a B plus. Uh, they also did uh, military appreciation night, which was cool, especially as Virginia Tech 
uh, being hosted at Carter Finley, uh, a nice touch. They did a lot to honor them. They had a massive American flag on the field at halftime. They did a flyover with, it was like, it was like, uh, we were walking in the stadium right when it was happening, but it was like a, a light show with like multiple things. I don't know. I don't know what was going on with the flyover. It was cool though. Um, <laughs> the LED lights, the LED lights, this was the second or third time I've seen LED lights at another stadium. I thought the lights were cool, but I think it was brought down significantly by their lack of a legitimate stereo system. The music accompanying, you know, Coach Price says we got to play complimentary football. NC State needs to have complimentary lights and music. The audio was not uh, sufficient to, to accompany the LEDs. Uh, and then their whole scoreboard situation is a whole whole nother thing. But they have like this big scoreboard on one end zone and then two little tiny like TV scoreboards in the corners of the other end zone. And uh, one of them was glitching the entire night. It's just not a great setup. I know that's probably next on their um, their list of projects. Tailgating. I will give NC State an A- for tailgating. I thought they had a, a cool setup. Over by the arena is where, you know, most of the adults do the tailgating, whereas on the other side over in the uh, the fairgrounds is where all the students do their tailgating. So uh, I'm sure that on a Saturday where you get all day to do it, uh, it is a uh, ex- you know, extravagant event uh, in Raleigh. Stadium overall, I'll give it a B minus, you know, not huge, definitely needs some upgrades. Cool stadium, but, you know, I've been in better stadiums. Uh, the fans, I will give their fans a B. The NC State faithful did not fill the stadium, and they all filed out when it was a 21-3 to ball game. Um, they weren't really loud at all, um, and it was pretty quiet, as Sam Stroman, or Sam Stromberg uh, tweeted out. He just said, it was quiet, and I completely agree with him. Uh, very, very, very nice people. Like, some of the more welcoming fans that I've uh, gotten to experience game day with. And I know uh, there's a letter from the lunch pail about that. Overall, I will give the game day atmosphere at Carter Finley a B plus. I would love to go back when we are better. Um, I'm not shouting from the mountaintops about seeing a game here. You know, I'd put it on the college football bucket list, but very, very low on the list. I'm definitely choosing a game at Florida state or a game at you know Clemson uh, in the ACC over NC State. But overall, great experience. Would go back. So that is my uh, my report card. Had fun on Thursday. And and for Mar- my Sharky shoutouts, um, man, I I don't know who to shout out. Uh, shout out my brother. He's going uh, for his sixth win in a row as a college football coach. Um, so good luck, Jackson, and the Naval Academy Preparatory School. Hopefully, we get another score prediction from him. Uh, the 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 uh, reception of Jackson's uh, score prediction was uh, was great, so we might be uh, be getting him back on again. Like a gentleman, like a gentleman. That's like right, a gentleman. That's right. That's that is right. <laughs> uh, I'll shout out um, my buddy Cole Childress. He got married last weekend. I was in that wedding. Went back to Virginia, and they had good on Cole and his wife Katie uh, for having their wedding on Virginia Tech's bye week. Yeah. We say no fall weddings here, but if you're going to do it, it better be on the bye week. Mm -hmm. Well done. Well done by everybody. Well done. Yep. 
<laughs> Shout out to uh, <laughs> to the nine day countdown till basketball season begins. Uh, we are nine days away from November seventh and a new season to defend our banner as ACC champions and to go deep into the month of March. Mm-hmm. We got Ladies a lot of good basketball content. We got a oh, yeah. lot of good basketball content coming out. Uh, we got Liz Kitley and George Amore coming on uh, over the next two days. Looks like I think I think tomorrow morning. And then we may, um, may not talk about the new Taylor Swift album. Uh, Pat's not going to be there, so he can't police me. I think Grace is not there either. He can't police me. We will be talking about Midnight's favorite songs, favorite Taylor Swift album. Tune in. Just letting y'all know. Just letting y'all know. Bill, that's exciting that you're excited to talk about Taylor Swift. You know, I hope the listeners are ready for it. I'm not necessarily saying that uh, I might skip through that part, but I hope the rest of the interview is fantastic. I'm sure it will be. <laughs> uh, does anybody have a pick of the day? Can we end this just as a as a as a time capsule thing? What is your lock of the day? My lock Ohio of the day: State. Notre Dame will win today against Syracuse. I think they're a, a a one point dog up at the dome. I'm looking at my card right now, uh, putting receipts out there. Ole Miss going against Texas A&M, who is too busy smoking the guns in the locker room before the game. They got a lot of issues going on at Texas A&M. Eighty-six million dollar buyout too. That's tough. Million dollar buyout. We thought we had it bad. Yeah, uh, exactly. I bet. I bet Texas A&M wish Taylor Swift went to Texas A&M to help them foot that bill to get a new uh, football coach. But I'm gonna go with Ole Miss minus two. And I gotta be honest, North Carolina, they are getting not enough respect. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. They have played good football all season, except when they played against Notre Dame. So just a team to watch out for. Just a team to watch out for. Um, but we will be back with you this uh, towards the end of this weekend with Kitley, Georgia Amore, uh, and some awesome stuff next week. Uh, I know Pat Finn will be in town for Georgia Tech potentially. I know that that's uh, that's got some that's got some legs to it. I'm looking to go to Lynchburg, and uh, we will all uh, or not all, Grayson, you will be there in spirit. We might bring your cutout. We'll bring your cutout. Dude, to please, game. dude. That'd be hilarious. We'll bring your cutout to the Virginia game. Pat and I will be in Blacksburg for the Virginia game. But everybody, be safe, be well, and we will talk to you soon. Happy Halloween. We didn't even talk about candy powering. Bonus segment. <laughs> bonus segment. Oh, God. Favorite Halloween candy. What is your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, I'll, I'll say this too: most ironical costume that they have seen so far. Uh, I saw on Snapchat somebody was dressed up as a postman with face tattoos, and they called it Postal Malone. I thought A plus. I thought that was so funny. Um, and then favorite Halloween candy, dude. I mean, I friggin' love Reese's. Uh, when I get to get the Reese's cups, I, I just cash those bad Reese's, boys. Reese's Reese's cups. Reese's. Reese's, Reese's, whatever. Uh, and also Smarties. And if you don't eat the whole sleeve in one bite, like who's eating them one by one, I would just – I go – and I'd just pour it. Pour getting it in. This is going to get memed. But um, that I, I love Smarties. Pat, dude. need to send you down to John Cran's office. <laughs> You're going to have a lot of cavities, pal. I had. I won't be trick-or-treating this year. Don't worry about it. Maybe. Uh, Pat, go ahead. 
Uh, I just chocolate candies over the fruit candies. Like, I mean, yeah, big time. I saw someone trying to. I saw Sam Stroh try to rule out Butterfingers from a top ten. That's dumb. I mean, Butterfingers are elite. Butterfingers are elite. That I don't know if they're elite, but they're good. Elite and elite candy. I can name ten candies right now that are better than Butterfingers. Right now, do it right now. Kit Kat, Reese's, Twix. Uh, Milky Way. Uh, I prefer mm-hmm. Almond Joys, but I won't put Almond Joys on there because that, no, actually, I I will because it's my list. I'm gonna put Almond Joys on there. Uh, five grand. Those five grands. I yeah. love three Musketeers. It's one hundred grand. Okay, hundred grand. Okay, then I'll take it off because I didn't even know the right word. Heath bars. Love, love, love a good Heath bar. Three Musketeers. Baby Ruth. Did I say Kit Kat already? Yes, that was number yeah. one. Did I say Kit Kat already? Is it going to squeeze in there? Milky Way Twix. It might squeeze in at ten. Oh, and a Hershey's bar. I love Hershey's Hershey bar. bar. Yeah. I got I got Kit Kat as number one. By the way, Kit, Kit Kat's elite. It's so far and away number one. So wait, can we say I don't think that I don't think those are elite. If you can Kit name ten awesome. before you get there, are they elite? I Bill, mean, you, I, would, did, I, I I take I take Butterfinger over. Heath bar, I take Butterfinger over five grand, a hundred grand, however many grand. I take it over a take five. I take it over a baby Ruth and I take it over Almond Joy. Y'all so, are forgetting one like God tier candy. Snickers, what, like, dog. Butter, oh, uh, Snickers, dude. Yes, yes, yes no, that is one. You guys aren't hearing me. I like Snickers when I'm on a long drive. I don't like Snickers on Halloween. Cause I like Snickers the whole the whole bar. Like if I just get like a little fun piece of, of Snickers, that doesn't do it for me. The fun size is what you're yeah, a little to. fun size, uh, dude. Also, you would have never seen somebody eat candy as fast as I ate it uh, when I got home from Halloween. Because what my dad would do is he would we'd go trick or treating, and then he would take my brother and mine bag and hide it so that we didn't eat all the candy in one day. But in reality, he would hide it and eat it himself over the next month and a half. So we would have all this candy. He would put it under the sink. And then we would have no candy left. So my brother and I would always eat it on the way back to the house. That's um, hilarious. You know what? That was actually one, really frustrating. Um, the number one parenting threat was if you were acting up at any point over that first two weeks of November, you would get the uh, – I'm taking your candy into work. Oh. <laughs> Dang, that is cruel and I'm unusual. I'm taking your candy. I don't know if my parents work. ever threatened pulling the candy. Oh, <laughs> it was a, it yeah. was a trick I, I, every I, I, single I, time. And then, you know, your candy will get bagged up, and all of a sudden it's in the passenger seat of my dad's car, and it's heading down the highway. See you later. Uh, what was the most questionable Halloween costume you dressed up as? I, I I can go ahead first. I dressed up. Um, I was a kid. Didn't didn't know any better. Uh, I dressed up as uh, as Peter Pan with the tights. Um, this was pre puberty. Um, really, just poor decision making on my. I guess my parents' end. I think this, that I think that is a, a parent decision. Um, the pictures are pretty cute, though. Uh, you know, cute kid. And then my brother dressed up as Edward Scissorhands, which was a very very intricate and interesting costume uh he like paper mached his his scissor hands scissor hands um but uh yeah so that was that was mine uh pat most questionable halloween costume 
Uh, me and a couple of buddies in college, like early on, like, you know, freshman year, dressed up as UVA D-bags for Halloween. <laughs> what What did you wear? <laughs> you guys you probably know, thought you know. were so funny. <laughs> you guys probably thought you were hilarious. I mean, it was pretty funny. But you know, <laughs> looking back, looking back on it, it was pretty cringe, right? Uh, yeah. But wait, what? What was the outfit though? You know, you oh, wear like I, a popped collar and you know the most pastel things you could find, and you know a uh, upside down like visor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds like how I dressed in high school, just on the regular. <laughs> Pastels. Um, <laughs> the pastel era was a fun time. Uh, no, you, you were you were wearing true religion jeans back then, Bill. I wore true religion jeans once. I, that and they got a picture bad. of it. So there that you go. Bad. Um, <laughs> when I was a kid, I dressed up as uh, I dressed up as Zorro, which was pretty lame. <laughs> yeah, I was I was in like the third grade, and I saw the Zorro costume, and I told mom, I was like, "That's the one." Can I just say this last thing? This is the last thing. Going to Halloween stores and buying like the pre-baked candy, like the uh, like the you know hamburger helper version of costumes, that's weak. Like make your own costume. Like take clothes that you have and everything else and make your own costume. If you're like, oh, I'm helper. dressing up, I'm dressing up as such and such, and I just went in and bought the entire costume. One that is not environmentally friendly for you to buy a uh, a costume you are going to wear once when you have the stuff in your uh, closet. And two, it is not economically friendly. That is not a smart decision. So last year, I dressed up as Tony Soprano. You know what I had to do? I had to go get my uh, my robe out of my closet and a, a gallon of uh, and a white beater and a gallon of uh, orange juice. And that was my uh, and that was my outfit. So. Uh, that's a podcast. Thank you for everybody tuning in, Pat. Thank you for the uh, the the leeway into a fun segment um, that some of you may hate, some of you may love, some of you may have already tuned out when we already were doing our our goodbyes. So that is why you always stay till the end of the credits because you never know what you're gonna get. Happy Halloween! Ooh, enjoy it, and we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs> Ooh. Time to wander, tripping in the sand We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand But I saw you dance like you want to in my head And all that she said is All I know is what you're thinking Please don't go to sweat and Trash my friend's place, wake up the next day Take a hit.